Welcome to episode 261 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast, the objects to observe in the October 22, 2022 night sky edition. I'm Chris, and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky, and this podcast is for anybody else who likes going out under the stars. Still a little tired here, Shane. Did a few sessions, four sessions over the past couple of days. So uh, yeah, I'm ready to just sort of hit the snooze bar here. <laughs> Life of an astronomer. It, yeah. it catches up to you at some point. Yeah, it certainly, it certainly does. Uh, doing these these late night sessions and then recording, but uh, yeah, it's it's all good. It's all good. People just have to put up with that. Uh, so we've got a comet. Jupiter is at its best in seventy years, and uh, that comet's going to go flying by the pole. I was looking at that article by um, Don McColls. So he uh, he had written an article for uh, Earth and Sky and, and some other ones on this comet. And of course, uh, Don was uh, uh, the discoverer of 12 comets and unfortunately passed away here uh, last month. But uh, they, they've been updating his his article with, uh, you know, with the updated uh, orbit. And, and uh, this comet uh, is uh, is getting brighter. I think it's called E3. I didn't write the full name down, but it's going to be getting brighter. Um, you know, going on into the, uh, the winter months, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting comet, um, that has, uh, very optimistic forecasts or estimates for how bright it will get. Mm -hmm. Um, in January, I believe they're saying like magnitude four to five, which is extremely bright. That would be a naked eye comet. And those are quite rare. Um, so, you know, anytime there's something like that, um, that, it's People always in the Southern hemisphere. <laughs> well, and that usually seems to be that too. That's, that's right. Um, so anyway, it's super exciting that we might have a bright comet for, I, I think this would be predominantly the Northern hemisphere. Well, yeah, um, it, yeah. it's going to be at its brightest when it, when it flies through the uh, circumpolar constellation uh, Draco. And then, uh, and then it passes within uh, a dozen degrees of Polaris. So uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's way up there. And, and the other great thing about that is it's like basically an all night comet then as yeah. well. Like some of these comets, you only catch them when they're close to the sun, which mm-hmm. means either sunset or sunrise. And, um, you know, your, your moments are measured in minutes sometimes, yeah. uh, to observe them. And, uh, so this is just, I I'm, I'm super excited for this. I hope the estimates hold true. However, uh, these things are extremely difficult to predict and very erratic. So, um, you know, you hope for the best, but you can't expect, uh, or, or you can't be surprised if, if it doesn't reach some of those estimates, but, uh, we'll, we'll keep looking at it and we'll keep watching how it progresses and talking about it from, you know, this point until January timeframe when it's supposed to be at its brightest. Yeah. Yeah. I was already out the last night trying to take a peek at it and, uh, not still not hundred percent sure I got it or not. I definitely got, um, you know, a faint star in that spot where, where it should have been. Um, but like I said, the telescope I was using is out of, out of alignment. It's not an easy to align scope. It needs a, a, a little bit of, uh, of tender love and care to get it, uh, in, into alignment. There's a lot of different optical surface on a Schmidt Newtonian. So I'm not familiar with, so yeah, you need to do some work there, but yeah, I'm starting to get the fields down and pretty sure uh, if I can uh, get Mike out here with his 12 inch, we'll, we'll nail it. <laughs> so. Yeah. A- a- aperture is a, a big <laughs> factor, I guess, when you're trying to see something kind of that 
you know, that dim, it, it certainly will help. Yeah. And Jupiter is, uh, well, we're recording this on the 25th and tomorrow yeah, Jupiter is at its uh, official opposition. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is the, the prime time really for looking at Jupiter is, is just at or just past opposition because then you're going to see it uh, in the in the night sky uh, pretty much all evening because it's uh, it, it's reasonably high even at sunset now and then it stays uh, uh, up and passes through the zenith or passes through the meridian uh, pretty high up uh, around midnight or so and then and then even when I was up at uh, four o'clock in the morning uh, last weekend um, it was still reasonably high I did a, I did a sketch of it so. Yeah, it's uh, it's nice and high pretty much all night these these nights. Even though we're sort of at opposition at the end of September, it's uh, it's closer to this uh, this uh, what's up in the in the sky for the month than uh, than last month. Mm-hmm. And it's the closest to Earth, um, or, or or it's never been this close in the last seventy years. So it's a yeah. pretty cool opportunity to look at it. It'll be a little bit bigger than uh, you know what it's looked like probably every other day of your life that you've looked at yeah (laughs) yeah for most people anyway yeah well and you know jupiter is one of those i mean you know and i i guess you know between jupiter mars and uh venus you know they really do uh, radically change in brightness and it is it is really bright now Mm -hmm. jupiter is is exceptionally exceptionally bright right now um I actually think, I don't think I've seen it this bright. <laughs> so it really kind of catches your eye when you go out and it's like, whoa, like, what is that? It almost looks like a, a uridium flare that's stuck on high. You know, it is it is super bright and uh, sort of a very, very yellow um, color. Yeah, it looks really good. Yeah, yeah, it does. Uh, uh, and for us, this is a great time of the year. Like we often have really good clear nights uh, mm-hmm. leading up to winter. So it's, uh, it's just such a good opportunity for, uh, at least our region. I'm not sure how other folks do around the globe, but, um, get out as much as you can, because this is, this is prime time for Jupiter. Uh, you can still get some good views of Saturn and, you know, Mars is starting to become, uh, a target earlier in the night now as well. So you can probably even get some Mars observing if you're up late enough. Yeah. I did a sketch of Mars last week. I think I shared it with you, the, the one in color that, uh, graphic design friend was helping me out with, uh, yeah, starting to see some nice detail there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, we tweeted out your sketch. If anybody is interested in that, our Twitter account is at actual astronomy. Um, and you can see that and eh, we don't tweet a lot, but, uh, what we do tweet, there's usually photos involved, which is kind of neat, uh, yep. because most of the time people just hear us. So now you yeah. can see <laughs> some things there too. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, let's see. Oh, you know what? I meant to mention it in our last episode, but uh, one of our listeners, Jim, um, is is coming to my astronomy class and gave me a copy of, uh, well, I think it's his, his the, he ended up with two copies of Sue French's Deep Sky Wonders. So we need to figure out a way how to give that away. Um, so that'll be, that'll be in a coming episode. We'll, we'll chat about that offline and and sort that one out as as we go forward into the coming coming days. He won't hear this though because he's listening from the very beginning, <laughs> so it's going to take him a while to get here. It's going to take him a little while. He's halfway. He's halfway here. I think he's oh, at wow. episode uh, one hundred and thirty or something like that. So he's halfway. All right. 
Um, let's see, what do we got going on? So other than Jupiter, so what can you see on Jupiter? Let's just talk about that really, really quick. You've, you've been observing Jupiter. I've been observing Jupiter. Um, what have you been able to see so far? Um, Shane? Well, it, it depends, you know, I guess on your aperture, but I'm going to comment more so from, uh, a three inch to maybe a four inch refractor perspective. Um, and you, you can see a ton of detail with either of those, uh, telescopes. So you can see what, what, what's the most prominent on Jupiter is, uh, probably the four Galilean moons. So not really on Jupiter, but part of the system. So on any given night, you can see sometimes four, sometimes less, depending on where they are. Uh, sometimes you can see a shadow transit of, from one of the moons, a little black dot, um, now Jupiter itself, the two equatorial bands is, are the most prominent. They stand out the most and, and you can see them in even smaller telescopes than what I'm referencing. Um, and they are usually, uh, like a brownish tone to them. Um, and like even in a, the three inch or the four inch, you can see some irregularity in those bands and, uh, pull out some very interesting detail. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes even little storms and festoons, mm -hmm. um, depending on where the great red spot is, if it's visible, you'll see it in either a three inch or a four inch without much difficulty. And that will be kind of an oval that is pinky, maybe a salmon tone. And I've noticed, um, with the four inch this year, a little bit of variation, like within the great red spot that the center kind of looks a little darker or that there's uh, maybe a little bit of lightness kind of on the inner, inner parts of the, the great red spot. So, um, you know, you can certainly see some detail there. Then you have the, um, the polar regions. Um, again, you can see depending on the night, the seeing or the atmosphere is always the limiting factor here. But if you have good seeing with a three inch, even you can start to pull out some incredible detail, even in those polar regions where, uh, you know, it's a little more challenging to see the detail there because it's not quite as bright and the contrast isn't, uh, as, uh, as noticeable as like the equatorial bands. Mm -hmm. But anyway, you can see all of that. Jupiter is a wonderful planet to observe. And what's really neat about it is um, like the, the, the rotation is very fast. So throughout the night, like if you start your evening of observing and you look at Jupiter and you come back a couple hours later, you will have noticed that the oh, clouds yeah. have changed. Um, and like, yeah. particularly if the great red spot is visible, you'll notice that it's moved quite a bit yeah. in uh, a couple of hours. So it's neat that it's so dynamic. Uh, you know, you really can almost observe Jupiter for the entire night if you wanted mm -hmm. and probably pull out a lot of detail, but then also see a lot of new detail as it's uh, rotating. Yeah. Like the, uh, like you were saying that South equatorial band, um, almost has like a, like a ridge on the edge of where the red spot is. And then the red spots kind of sitting inside this hollow and that hollow is, seems to be much, much larger than the red spot is right now, at least to my eye. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and so that like on the, on the edge of where that hollow meets the South equatorial band, it's really clearly defined. And so when you, when you first look like pretty much anybody will think, Oh, like that's the red spot. And then like, you kind of need to look for another minute or two, and then you'll start to see like the, the detail, like the red spot is like you were saying, like that darker area inside, but it, to me, like I was looking at it in my five inch and it looked like it was hollowed out, like it really had a hollow. And then 
the red spot uh, was sitting like well within that hollow. And then I noticed that the South Equatorial belt had kind of uh, was, was somewhat bisected. Um, I think after the red spot. So as, as the red spot passes through just after it, it looked like it was bisected. It wasn't bisected before, but it was almost like the red spot was disturbing the, the uh, South equatorial band and causing it to, uh, to split into, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's showing uh, some interesting detail. That's for sure. And I, I think the South equatorial band is, is pretty faded right now too. The North equatorial belt is very dark, but yeah, uh, yeah. but the Seb is, uh, is really pale. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because the other thing I, I want to say about Jupiter is, you know, even if you have observed it, say last year, um, while the prominent features of Jupiter are still there, like the equatorial bands and the great red spot, what's really interesting is how much those vary from year to year to year uh, in terms of their darkness or prominence. And uh, for uh, a few years, and this wasn't that long ago, um, the great red spot was um, starting to lose like it's like vibrance, like the red or that pinkish vibrance was, was fading and people were, it was also shrinking too. And people were thinking that maybe it's going to disappear, but then it, I think it was maybe last year or the year before it started to darken and, and kind of grow or, or maybe return to its uh, usual size. So mm-hmm. what's really neat about Jupiter is even if you've seen it a hundred times, it, it, again, it just changes so much from the, you know, season to season and hour to hour that it's, it's just a fun thing to observe. Yeah. Oh, and I'll give a shout out to the observer's notebook, which is um, one of the other, very, there's very few sort of visual observing podcasts. And uh, that one is it's put out by the uh, ALPO or the association of lunar and planetary observers. And um, they recently had uh, Richard Schmoody Jr. on, um, who is also a member of the RSC, and I've, I've met him a few times. He's a phenomenal planetary observer, and he's uh, he's collecting um, belt darkness estimates from people right now. So, uh, if people want, they can hop over to the uh, uh, Observer's Notebook uh, podcast and and maybe check out. Uh, it'll either be the most recent or just uh, the one the one prior. Um, where he's on talking about how, how to do that. I think there's only like 50 people in the world doing it. So uh, considering right now we are seeing this uh, big variation in uh, in the darkness of the belt, it's something that uh, that people could, uh, could contribute to if they were interested. Yeah, yeah. And that is a great podcast. If you're into visual astronomy, uh, add that to your subscription list and I don't think you'll be disappointed. Yeah, no, they had some great folks. Like Carlos Hernandez was on there. Um, I think last month, um, Richard Smoody was on again and they had, there was somebody else who was on too, that really struck me. But anyway, they, they typically have guests, uh, much of the time and, uh, and they're very good guests. Uh, typically though, uh, focused on, of course, uh, lunar and planetary observing, which is fine, but they talk about it from both the visual and, uh, electronic aspects and contributing to science, um, perhaps a little bit more than we do. (laughs) Good stuff. Something for everybody. Okay. October 3rd, we have the first quarter moon and the lunar straight wall is visible. The lunar straight wall, that's that. It's almost like the, like an escarpment and a bit of an effect that you, you see on the lunar surface because of the escarpment, something like that. Shane, you're more the lunar observer to the two of us. Yeah. It's uh, one of these clear obscure effects. So if you're a photographer, I think that's a a term more common in that hobby, but there's a number of these clear obscure effects on the moon. And, and really what that means is it's a shadow play uh, in conjunction with the, the light from the sun. 
Mm-hmm. So it's not actually a real feature, so to speak. It's just how the shadow um, is cast uh, at certain times of the month that allow you to see certain features. Um, mm-hmm. So the lunar X is one we talk about a lot, but in this case, the lunar straight wall, I think it's in a uh, Rupus recta, um, mm-hmm. which is a prominent crater. And when you look at the lunar straight wall, um, when it's visible anyway, uh, it's just this very dark black line that is quite straight and quite long. And what's neat about that is the moon, you know, while it has a, like it, it, pretty much an infinite amount of detail to observe, none of it is like very um, symmetrical or straight or anything. It's all very erratic, mm-hmm. um, but this straight wall looks very straight. Um, mm-hmm. So it, it's, it, it just stands out. Um, so definitely well worth looking at. Um, I, this is one of my favorite Claire obscure effects to look at on the Okay, moon. cool. You know, I'm going to say something about time as well. And about um, when we're talking about dates and time, um, because this has come up, Brent asked a really good question. I'm not sure if you saw that one from him. I, I, I hope I answered it properly. And then somebody asked that same question in my class the other night, um, which is, you know, they were looking at the time for events. Okay. Mm -hmm. And the time for the events, um, if you look them up either on skycharts.com or in other, sometimes in other software or other, um, you know, how to see stuff in a time sky podcasts or, or online articles or whatever, they're going to list those in universal time. And when we're making up this podcast scene, what we do is, is we talk about it sort of from our perspective, kind of sort of smack dab in the middle of, of North America. And then we'll kind of put a few, okay, well, this event we can't see, but it's going to be visible for these folks. But um, uh, people out there have to understand, you know, oftentimes for us, if it's, um, for example, it could be 11 o'clock here for us, uh, but on, you know, the extreme West Coast of North America, it's going to be the next day. And then um, we could have an event that's at like uh, 1 a.m. our time. And then, of course, for uh, those, you know, for the West, it's going to it's going to be earlier. Right. So it's going to be on the previous day. So uh, people have to think that in mind. that's just sort of like a localized example. But uh, people do need to kind of keep in mind that sometimes these dates might even apparently, you know, sort of shift by what appears to be a day when in actuality, it might be, just be an hour or a few hours or six hours or something like that. Um so d- just run it in your planetarium software. Everybody has planetarium software right now. So if we're saying something's happening on the third, just make sure that it, sort of when you're planning your month, just just run that. Just see how it actually works for your particular uh, day and location. Does, does does that make sense, Shane? It's it's sort of one of those things that can be a bit confusing for at least for me when I was getting going. Yeah, that's a great point, and probably uh, something we should just add to the show notes as like a every time every month we do this episode, yeah. we should put that out there. That yeah, we do center all of this on our location, which yeah, yeah is um, uh, Central Standard Time with no daylight savings. And if yeah. you're not in our time zone, everything changes a little bit. And the further you're away from us, the the greater the variance. Yeah. So it is. That's- it is handy to check your your software out just to make sure you got the right time for your location. Yeah, exactly. I remember when I was first getting going in astronomy, and I would see, oh, this event is happening on the, uh, you know, it's going to happen on the like the third of October, for example. But then it was like early in the morning. It was like you know one a.m., mm-hmm. not late, um, you know, late at night on 
on the third slash into the fourth of October. So there was a lot of events I missed by like a day because of this. And uh, I think that's sort of one of the frustrating things that sometimes newcomers to astronomy will have. And then sometimes I still make this mistake. And uh, yeah, one thing you can do, I know with, with my software is I can set up alerts uh, for mm-hmm. the events. So if there is something I really want to catch, then uh, I will put it in, but usually now I'm pretty good about, okay, like this is when the event is happening. And I know I got to go out on this, uh, on this day and time, October 5th, we're going to have Saturn just four degrees uh, North uh, of the moon. And that's going to be better for people that aren't where we are. I think, uh, you know, if you're, if you're not exactly where we are, I think you come off a little bit better, but for us, it's, it ends up being like eight degrees away. I think so a little bit more than a, uh, binocular field, but I think for those that are, uh, east of us, uh, I think you, you fare a little bit better. And then like when I was looking at uh, some of the other what's up there, they're like, oh, well, October 8th, that's, uh, when Jupiter and the moon are going to be close in the sky. But when I ran it in our software, we get a little bit of a, a variance to this because October 7th um, is going to be, a, that's going to be a great night for trying to hunt down Neptune. Neptune's about 7.8 magnitude. So it's a little bit faint. Um, but on October 7th, uh, Neptune is going to be four degrees north of the moon. So if you have a nice wide field telescope, you need a telescope something with a bit of a oomph to kind of break through the glare of the moon, mm-hmm. um, you'll be able to hunt down Neptune just four degrees north of the moon. And then the following night um, on the 8th, that's when uh, Jupiter and the moon are going to be uh, in the same uh, binocular field. On the morning of the 8th, though, uh, so you're going to have a long couple nights there. Uh, <laughs> on the morning of the 8th, you can get up and see Mercury at its greatest uh, uh, elongation west. So that's in the morning sky when Mercury is going to be more than 18 degrees away from the sun. And that's the best morning apparition of the year, which is, in my opinion, okay. It's not <laughs> as good as the one we, we had in 2020 when I did a sketch of it. So I'm not, I'm not sure. You got to really pick your, your Mercury madness. Mercury will kind of drive you um, around the bend to, to try to get a good observation of his, as it, uh, as it hugs the sun really close, mm-hmm. you want those good, um, morning or evening apparitions, um, to be either a little bit later in autumn or a little bit earlier, maybe in, in spring to really get a, get a nice view. So the last one, last really good view I had was in, um, November of 2020 and it was tough. And I had a few good mornings, and the first two mornings, it took me three days to really capture it, and then uh, and then a morning to do a sketch. So, um, but this is a little bit early, being uh, you know just the second week of October. So, but but maybe for other people that are maybe in a better uh, location. Uh, let's see. On the ninth, uh, the moon is going to be full. Uh, it's going to be in Pisces. So, uh, right now we have. Um, the moon in Pisces on the 9th and then on the 11th, 12th, Uranus is, is for us. Anyway, I was looking at this and for many people in North America, the moon is going to cover up or occult uh, Uranus. So um, yeah, it's going to pass right in front. So I would say out of all these events, if somebody was looking like a lot of these are going to be sort of very passive, like the moon and the planets. Um, Yeah. You know, you can kind of go and sort of follow it night to night. The moon is pretty close to full. So this would kind of be like the only observing you're doing anyway, and it's nice. You don't need a telescope or anything really set up to uh, to observe them. 
you can sort of follow that moon as it pairs up with the planets. But then uh, that night of the 11th and 12th, and I actually put it in here for, for you and I, Shane, this is 1115. I guess this will be like uh, mountain time or something like that. Anyway, Saskatchewan time, uh, 1115. That's uh, when Uranus is going to go behind the moon. And I think that's going to, despite you know being really close to fall, I think it's going to be worthwhile setting up a small telescope and seeing this happen uh, to see Uranus uh, go behind the moon. And there's a couple things that I would be looking for, for this event. Uh, one would be um, just noticing the color of Uranus because Uranus sort of has this pale sort of turquoisey blue. Um, but I kind of feel like next to like that stark gray white of the moon, uh, that turquoisey blue could really pop. And then as well, maybe it will kind of skim along some craters. And I've, I've seen, um, the planets uh, are called by the moon before. And then, and then sometimes you'll see the planet and then it will kind of wink in and out as it's sort of traversing um, the edge of a crater or something like that. And then finally disappear. That's, that's pretty cool to see. Yeah. I, I love observing motion in our solar system. Um, most of the stuff that we look at is very static in terms of its movement. Um, but when you can actually see solar system bodies, um, uh, like occulting or whatever it might be, it's, it's just super cool to me. I, I really enjoy that. Yeah. Um, yeah, let's see. And they said that on the 12th, there's going to be a double and by they, um, what I use is the, um, it's the United States Naval Observatory raw data, which I have access to is the observer's uh, handbook, uh, not the observer's handbook, the uh, calendar editor, which is the same stuff we use for the observer's handbook. Uh, let's see. So the double shadow transit um, on the 12th uh, for Jupiter, I don't think we're going to see it. I think um, maybe Bill Weir uh, over in, over, you know, on the West coast, maybe he can see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe people over in Hawaii or in Japan, maybe they'll be able to see it. Uh, but we do have people in those locations that have written to us. So uh, maybe we'll get a, a good report, but yeah, the double uh, shadow transit on Jupiter. Uh, this, this is when you get two moons that are crossing the disc and they cast their shadows onto the surface. It looks really, really cool. Um, but the ones happening this month, we don't see Shane, unfortunately. Well, that's too bad. Yeah. On the 14th, 15th, I think everybody, no matter where you are on the planet, you'll get a view of the moon and Mars together in the same binocular field on the 14th slash um, 15th. But, you know, I think the last time this happened last month, I tried to observe Mars this night. But, um, you know, just keep in mind, this is probably just like a binocular view maybe if you haven't uh, tracked down where mars is this year or you just want to see them paired up this will be fun for that um, but yeah just take your binoculars out take a quick look at mars and the moon together but e- even in my refractor i had way too much glare from the moon to really observe uh mars when it was uh, when it was this close mm-hmm. you're really probably just um you know observing the color of mars and so close to the moon it should maybe pop a little bit more the the orangey reddishness of the planet yeah but I found like when I, when I put my telescope on Mars that night, it was like the moon was just out of the field of view. And it was just like um, giving me like a fair bit of flaring, you know, I think it was a little bit closer that time. So, but yeah, I think uh, it's going to be tough to try to observe Mars when it is this close to the moon. So just, uh, just wait for another night. You'll get your opportunity. But you know what? One thing I did dig up <laughs> is that I had to look to see if I could find us a shadow transit. So 
um, for you and I, Shane, we can see a shadow, just one shadow transit, not a double shadow transit of Io transiting uh, Jupiter on October 16th. And you and I would see this uh, happening just after eight. And uh, that would be nice. I think that either the red spot is just before or just after we see the shadow transit. So on on the uh, 16th of October, um, you could uh, start observing Jupiter at sunset, and then you're going to see the uh, the shadow transit of Io, and then I think you see the red spot soon after. So uh, people that are in the middle of North America can enjoy that one, whereas we're we're locked out of the double shadow transits really for this uh, for this month. That's too bad, um, but you know I'll take a single shadow transit over no shadow transit. So I'm looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. And we typically don't put those in, but uh, you know, I wish I could find like a list. Somebody can point me to a list of all the single shadow transits. I just ran it. Um, I just put my software on Jupiter and then just watched it go until I found mm-hmm. one. That's how I found <laughs> it. So, you know, usually there are some when you're having the double shadow transits um, where maybe it's not a double, it's a, it's a single. So anyway, uh, last quarter moon is on October 17th. So then we can ramp up and start observing again. And then on the 8th, we have boy this is a tough one to say we have a minor planet uh, at opposition called 230 athamanthus i don't know Hmm. maybe i'm close maybe i'm not and this is uh (laughs) go ahead no i i've never heard of this one (laughs) neither neither had i in magnitude 9.9 so i try to put the Mm -hmm. ones in that are brighter than 10 so this is dancing on the edge i looked last night and it was like 10.1 or something but um, this is a really large main belt asteroid discovered by uh, Debal on September 3rd, 1882. And uh, it was his only asteroid discovery. And Ath- Amantis is the daughter of Athamas, a uh, Greek mythical king of Orchomenus or Orchomenus. Hmm. There okay. you go. <laughs> and I put a finer chart in. I've tried to put finer charts in for all this. So they can we, be posted. Now we know. Yeah. Now we know. Now we know October 19th, there is a double shadow transit. But I think UK this time. I think okay. that's where I think that's where you want to be. You want to be in, in the UK for that. Hopefully they have better weather than what Mark was having. Mm-hmm. And then on the 2021st, we have the Orionid meteor shower, which is from uh, the comet Holly. And uh, that can be a pretty good meteor shower. And, you know, here we are five or six days past, um, uh, let's see, past, you know, the quarter. So the moon might kind of sort of be in the morning sky still, but it really shouldn't impact things enough that, uh, you know, that, that it would impact the meteor shower. Should see lots of meteors on the mornings of the uh, 20 and 21st, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Another cool opportunity. Um, before it gets too cold, at least for us Northern observers. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always a fun, I, I enjoy meteor showers. They're, they're always fun to look at. Yeah, I've been uh, doing a lot of long sessions, uh, as you know, and I, I haven't seen this yet, but I think I've had a couple like really big uh, meteors come in mm-hmm. and I just have missed them because um, I was observing last night, this was about, quarter after four, maybe four 30. And, uh, all of a sudden I, I, everything just around me lit up just for a sec. And I don't know what else could cause that. <laughs> I don't know what else could cause this. 
um, beyond what, uh, you know, even a car in the distance or something, I, I don't think there's any way it could have lit up like the ground around me and everything. Um, mm-hmm. But I wasn't looking in that direction, but it was whatever that was, it was, it was bright. I was a little bit worried for a second, but uh, happened a few weeks ago too. I thought it must've been a car in the distance. And I was in a different spot where the car lights from across the, uh, the area mat can sometimes come if somebody, you know, come, comes in and it wasn't, it was late, but it wasn't that late. But, you know, I, I looked right, right away. I looked over at that spot where I would see the cars coming down the hill on the opposite side of the Valley. Um, and there was none. And I, the other thing is it was extremely still last night and I can hear the cars over there when it's, uh, when it's still, even though it's a couple of kilometers away, it's that still and the wind was coming from that direction i didn't hear them so i think it must have been a bull light or or something to that effect anyway mm-hmm. yeah sounds like it I've, I've seen a few fireballs um uh in the past and fortunate enough when i was actually looking up and they can light up you know kind of the ground and everything almost as if it was daytime they can be mm-hmm. so bright but it's usually just a real quick flash and very easy to miss, you know, if you're, mm-hmm. if you cut your eye in the eyepiece or you're, well, I did, you know, yeah. you're looking at a star chart or whatever, you can easily miss them. Yeah. On the, uh, the last week of October and the first week of November, that's when we get into the uh, morning zodiacal light and, uh, what the zodiacal light is, it's, uh, uh, particles that are suspended in between the planets. And I think the, the recent, paper at least uh, last year maybe it was the year before that came out was that some of this material is coming from mars and that uh what happens is that that our angle is just right in the morning sky um at the end of october and, and beginning of november where you will see like a like a faint banding sort of almost looks like a like a big weird light pollution filter or light pollution pillar and then uh yeah, it's it's uh, it's sort of this this material that's suspended out between the planets, and and that uh, I think much of it now has been uh, thought to be coming from Mars. Hmm. Yeah, that's quite interesting. And then on the twenty fifth, we have the new moon, and there's a partial solar eclipse for Scandinavia and uh, oh. Eastern European Union. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, get your white light filters ready. Um, par- partial eclipses are fun too. I any sort of a solar eclipse. I'm super interested, whether it's annular or partial or any of those. Yeah. You'll need a plane ticket there to see that one, Shane. Yeah. I probably won't see that one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, that's, uh, that's too bad. I was looking cause I, I, I think somewhere in one of the references, it said for North America, but maybe if you were like, I don't know, on that little Island that's off the tip of Greenland that I think Canada and Finland have decided to share something. I think maybe that's the, maybe that spot you could see it from North America, but Mm -hmm. uh, we won't see it. Mm -hmm. So so for those two unlucky, um, uh, you know, that, that Finn and that Canadian who are, who are sharing a, a can of beans being heated over a propane or butane stove, uh, that 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 day maybe they will get a look. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, yeah. Anything anything to uh, to add to this? Shane, we talked about a comet, talked about uh, the planets and the pairings of the moon, talked about Jupiter, um, meteor shower. Yeah, minor planet at opposition. I think I think we got it all covered here. 
Yeah, I think so. It's it's really shaping up to be um, uh, like the the last bit of this calendar year is shaping up to be um, a really good solar system time. You know, we, mm-hmm. we have the three prominent planets. We got Mars at opposition, Jupiter at its closest in seventy years. Uh, Saturn is always beautiful, and uh, then we have this potential for a real bright comet uh, by the end of the year here. So I'm mm-hmm. super excited, and I'm going to do as much observing as I can over the next few months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. All right, well, thanks, Shane. Thanks everybody for listening. Be sure to subscribe in your podcatching software, and you can always reach us with your observing at actualastronomy@gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, everybody. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com.